Alrighty. It begins with an idea, doesn't it? It begins with an awareness beyond ourself of starting something that doesn't need to be organized, and yet there's willing people to respond. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this and other organizations that have started from something so simple as a recognition of need and turning a birthday party into $10 million over a period of time and providing clean water, healthy water for people. Lord, you have blessed us richly. May out of those riches in Christ Jesus, as you've been generous with us, may we be generous. And may you continue to do this good work and provide for people's physical needs so that they'll be open to having their spiritual needs met in you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, empower. You know, I really don't like that word. <laughs> it's a word from, it started in the um, 17th century with John Milton, a very famous writer, um, but it had a completely different meaning. And that's sort of what a knee-jerk response to that meaning today, because even though it means to give power, to, give, to delegate power, or to give authority, like legal power, the second meaning means to give ability to enable or permit. And there was even a, a definition that talked about empowering so that you could pursue your own personal rights. Sometimes I think that we are telling people to pursue things too much because we naturally are going to advocate for what we want in the way we want it. If we're talking about empower, when it means in God's economy how he gives us power or he gives us the authority, if we are talking about Matthew 19 um, um, in 20, um, where, where we think in Matthew, um, the end of Matthew, where Jesus gives his disciples the instructions to go out into the world and to baptize the nations and to teach them everything that he's observed and that he's going to be with them. That's a different authority because he began it by saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So when we're thinking of it in those terms, that empowering is life-changing. We don't do anything by our own power and steam because we couldn't. It is the Lord, and very much as we just saw in that video, that he's able to multiply far beyond our abilities to really even imagine that. Ephesians 3.20 says that, Beyond what we can think or imagine, God is able to do far more and the power that dwells in us. Sometimes we don't understand the power that God has given us, and we need to really think about that, that God's power resides in us because God himself resides in us. That's what we understand from baptism, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us and creates faith and the ability to understand what God wants to say to us. 
And then we live with that every day, that God comes and inhabits uh, these broken vessels, these vessels that are, as the Scripture talks about, not necessarily for holy purposes in the sense that some of those, in, those vessels in the, in the temple were used for gold and silver, but ordinary vessels, they become holy because we have been inhabited by the God of the universe who is holy, who is set apart. So if we're thinking about empower in that way, then okay, we can use that word. But the word is used so much that sometimes we have to think beyond in a culture that wants to make sure that people get what they want when they want it. That's very different because this God who has inhabited us, this Christ who lives in us and, and shapes us and gives us our direction in life, came sacrificially. He came as a servant not to be served. So it's a completely different empowerment and concept that we're working with. It's not just promoting self and the actualization of self, but it's presenting Christ. It's living a life of love. Now, the scripture that you have in front of you tonight um, in those sheets that were passed out is some familiar passages. Samson, who was chosen before he was even born, identified that he was going to be a Nazarene, that he was going to be a judge, that he was going to live differently than everyone else, and he was going to be given hair, lots of it, and that hair was his strength, and he did not shave that head of hair. And he did some amazing things, but Samson was imperfect, I was just reading this week about uh, a woman who wrote a book, and as she was reading things from Scripture, she said, you know, there were some very difficult things in in the Scripture that you are reading to children. I I loved Samson's story as a child. I I loved that idea of of a hero, of a champion. But he was a very flawed champion. And some of those things that we read in the Scripture are difficult for us as parents to introduce to children because they don't see the larger perspective. They haven't lived enough life. And even us, as we read through the the Scriptures, we see that there are things that are very graphic, are, are very earthy, are very detailed again. And as she was thinking through all of these stories that she was reading to her child, what what hit her was the overwhelming understanding that the Bible doesn't mince words. It talks about real life. It talks about our human condition. It talks about the fact that not just those heroes or those leaders or those individuals are flawed, but we are flawed. We don't always do everything that we want to do. Paul said it, the good that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I end up in. Who will save me from this? Thanks be to Jesus Christ. We thank God that he has trumped and triumphed who we are our flawed nature, our sin, our struggle that we still have even in faith 
we have struggles understanding how God would use us. We have struggles with our thoughts. We have struggles with our, our tongues. We have struggles with our demonstrations of forgiveness, of, of love, of wisdom. We have struggles with our priorities. We have struggles with what makes us secure. We have struggles with worry and doubt. The man who had a child that was possessed came to the disciples on the heels of the transfiguration, that wonderful, incredible time on the mountain where Jesus revealed that there's no time in God's economy and met with people who were long dead, heroes of the faith. And he glowed so much that those disciples that went with him wanted to stay on that mountain, wanted to build a shelter and stay there. But no, Jesus went down the mountain. When he did, the rest of the disciples had tried to deal and heal, cast out the demons from this father, from this child. And they couldn't do it. And the father came and said, your disciples can't do this. And then the disciples were baffled. And then the father said, if you can. And Jesus spoke a word of humbling to that man. And that man said, I believe. Help my unbelief. That's where we are. I believe, help my unbelief. I see the world, I believe, but help my unbelief. I see the, the actions of mankind. I see the history. I read people's motivations. I see where people are apathetic and indifferent very often to things that they should be moved by. Even Christian people. I believe, help my unbelief. Samson was flawed. He got involved with a woman, Delilah. She was an interesting woman. We often give too much credit to the evilness of Delilah. I think she was very much a survivalist, and she certainly enjoyed getting recognition from Samson, but she was plotting with the Philistines because that's who were the enemies of the Israelites and, and certainly Samson had been a thorn in their side so they worked out that plot with Delilah and he was enticed by her and cut off his hair while he was sleeping. They bound him and took him away and put out his eyes. And this day, they brought him into this great assembly. Thousands of people were there in this great temple and they said, bring that Samson out. We want to gloat. We want to say that, see, our God, Dagon, is stronger than the God of the Jews. And Samson struggled out there. And he said this to the man, the servant, who held his hand. Here, this was a man who was so strong, you can see, you can read all of his escapades. But here he had to have someone hold his hand. He said, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. He was performing. And how interesting it was that he was performing because his hair had grown. 
They thought he was no good to God. But God's promises carry us through even our unfaithfulness, even when we aren't what exactly he's planned for us to be. And his strength was there. And then Samson prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, remember me. O God, please strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. And then it said he reached and he pushed and that whole temple came down. Thus he was killed with many more. And they came and took him. His family came, retrieved him, and buried him. And he had led Israel for 20 years. And then we have a end scene of two thieves and Jesus in the middle on, the, on Golgotha. And one of the thieves is saying exactly what everybody else is saying. If you're the son of God, come on, get us down from here. Do something. But there's the other thief who has watched Jesus as he's dying. Watch Jesus as he provides for his mother. Watch Jesus and heard him say these words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He looks into the person next to him and says, this is someone different than us. And he chides the other criminal and says, we deserve to be here. But he's different, and it's obvious. And then he turns to Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today, today, you'll be with me in paradise. That thief had no more time to write his life than in that moment to say those words to Jesus. Samson had no more time to write his life except to help me. Say, help me, Lord. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You know, I like dog stories. You like dog stories? I read one this week about a dog, a Doberman Pinscher named Khan in Australia. He had been an abused animal. Always sad, always bothers me when people abuse uh, dogs or maybe, well, yes, cats too, okay. Um, but particularly dogs, because dogs are so loyal. And this animal had been overlooked because of his breed and because of his abuse, but this family thought they could do something with him. They saw something in this dog that was redeemable. Took him home. They had an 18-year-old daughter and seemed to bond and be just fine. But one day the mother looked out and saw the dog looking like he was being aggressive with her daughter. And as she watched, she saw the dog finally pick up the little girl by her nappies and throw her across the yard. And in horror, she rushed out thinking that, oh, we made a mistake. What we thought should not happen, happened. And this dog is gone nuts. But in a short while, they realized that that dog was not heinous 
and ready to be put down, but was actually a hero. He had been trying to push this little girl out of the way from one of the most dangerous snakes in Australia, the mulga snake, a brown snake that has neurotoxins that within one, a few minutes of being bitten, your whole system shuts down and you die. And not only had this dog stepped in the way and removed this child from that snake, he had been bitten himself. And only by quickly responding did they rescue the dog and put all of this in perspective. We don't always know when we look on the outside what's happening on the inside. Only God does. But God is always aware of our need. Even if on the outside it appears to us that the person is a hero or the person is an anti-hero, God loves the person. And God is always, with the very last breath, wanting to bring a person to faith. No matter what they've done, no matter what they haven't done, God is the forgiver, the healer. And that's got to be at the heart of our understanding in our relationship with him and in our relationship to people in the world. I had a conversation after church last week about that very thing. What person from history would you choose that's the most heinous, horrible, despicable person who deserved to burn in hell for eternity? Because that's often our approach to life. We separate out good from evil, those who fit into those categories, and we hang with the people and the places that are good, and we don't have anything to do with the people that are evil and intend to do evil. And yet Jesus came to seek that which was lost, to seek and to save the lost. He came with the knowledge that he was going to the cross for humanity, for men and women of all ages, of all times, for all of those that would come to faith in him. There is a, a song which just disappeared from my screen. So we will not look at that song today, but we're going to think about um, that message of that song. And that is simply that God is the God who does miracles. God intends to do a miracle in the world. The, the God who says to us that the cross brings us forgiveness is the God who wants to work through us to bring that message to the world. I believe. Help my unbelief. Am I a hero? Are you a hero? Are you a heroine? Are you the one that will do it perfectly every time, in every way? Or will you be the one that says, I believe Help my unbelief because, God, you are the unstoppable God. You are the persistent God. You are the one who makes the difference. 
I have a closing video I want you to see. We're moving. We're moving. We're moving. We're, we're moving from death to life. We're moving from darkness to light. We're moving from defeat to victory tonight. Somebody's crossing over from shame to grace tonight. Somebody's moving from fear to faith tonight. Jump up on your feet. Somebody's moving from sorrow to joy tonight.
the Spirit of God is here. What does the Spirit of God want to do in this place? What do you envision for this sanctuary, for this church, for Shea Campus, for Mountain View Campus, for this church, for Scottsdale, for Arizona, for the United States, for the world? The Spirit of God is moving. And you know, sometimes we say we don't see enough young people. They're in church. This is in North Carolina, Elevation Church. Look at those young people and think, God's moving in the world. And this has been repeated across the nation, around the world. Just because we aren't seeing and experiencing here doesn't mean that it cannot happen. I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me to see beyond. We are the people of God. Move in the Spirit of God. What's keeping it from happening? God? Is God the one determining that it won't happen here, that it won't happen in this place or in our community? God determines because He's given us power. And that power is in Jesus Christ. I'll close with this verse from 2 Peter 1 3. His divine power has, granted, has been granted to us and given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. You have power in Jesus Christ. Let him move you. Let him use you to the glory of his name, we pray. Father, help us to move. Help us to move. Help us to see what we cannot see in this moment. Help us to understand what we cannot understand. Help us to believe what we cannot believe in this moment, but only you can give to us. Only you can lead us. Only you can open up what it is that we are to become and how we can reach out with the gospel. We are your movement, Lord, and we want to say we believe but we ask that you would help our unbelief. Whatever stands in the way, Lord, we ask that those things would be put aside and we would be your people and see you move in a miraculous way because you are the God that changes lives in Christ Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. We receive our offering.